Well, as you know, we started the last time in our Bible Institute dealing with uh, dispensations. And, you know, at some point, and I think I said this last time, at some point, if you're ever going to get a handle on the Bible, um, I, I know I say there's a lot of things that are key to it, and, and that is true, but uh, on a scope of the whole Bible, understanding what God is doing, um, the dispensationals, uh, dis- dispensations are, are absolutely crucial. And, uh, you know, last time I kind of walked you through the different uh, goofy teachings out there on it that are out there today. Um, most people, for the most part, especially in that in the Baptist circle and the evangelical crowd, they don't even they don't even believe it anymore. They're totally, um, you know, out of touch with it. Um, they'll they'll obviously believe in Old Testament and the New Testament, but there's no real understanding of how it all really works. And then you know we talked about the the hyper dispensationalists. And uh, they cut up the Bible so bad that there's there's actually nothing left for anybody. And uh, we saw the fallacy in that. And, you know, and I said this last time, when it comes to the Bible, you'll always want to line your Bible up with not only what it says, but you'll always want to get the historical position on, on that. And, uh, you know, the, the true church has always held the true line of truth. And the key to that is, you know, being able to see something that has been taught down through the history, through the the true church, and, you know, that's really important. So we we talked about that. Today we're going to begin to walk through, and I told you that basically there's 11 dispensations. That's how I count them. And, you know, it's a a thing where um, you begin to see how that they work and how they go plan together. Along with that, you're going to find that there's eight covenants that God makes during these dispensations. And a covenant and a dispensation are two different things. A covenant will deal will be given within a, di- a given dispensation, but uh, it's, uh, a covenant does not designate any particular dispensation. In fact, in several of the dispensations, you'll find uh, a couple of different covenants being laid out and given. So it's one of those things that, uh, but I'm going to make mention of those. A covenant is basically a deal God makes with somebody. And he says, I'm going to do this for you. Um, I'm going to do this for you. And you find that throughout the Bible. There's eight of them. And I'm going to fit those in as we go through. That'll save us time from having to come back and, and do it later. Um, because I think it's important that you see them all together. And, uh, we know the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that, you know, we are to rightly divide the word of truth. And obviously, you're either going to rightly divide it or wrongly divide it. And unfortunately, today, most people are wrongly divided, if they're even dividing it at all. So I want to begin here, uh, and I want to begin to uh, lay uh, all of this out. Now, the first dispensation will be uh, the dispensation between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And, you know, it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, this has led to a lot of questions that you're going to get from people that you're working with. Um, We know that God is eternal. And yet, they ask the question, 
if God is eternal, how can there be a beginning? If God has always been, you know, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If God is eternal and God lasts forever, you know, what, what, what is the beginning aspect? And that's an honestly, that's a, that's a great question, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But the answer to that is over in Proverbs. And uh, I give you this because you'll probably be asked this at some point in time, and uh, you want to always be able to have an answer for them. So come over to Proverbs chapter 8, and you know from our study that Proverbs chapter 8, uh, you know that Proverbs chapter 8 is probably the, the deepest chapter in the Bible. Um, it definitely deals Genesis 1, 1 and before. And there's no real ability to go back and to for sure lay all of that out. But you get enough of it that you can see what's going on. And when it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, he's not talking about in the beginning of God or the beginning of, of you know, of it. God just suddenly said, okay, now we're going to start. You know, when you look at verse 22 of Proverbs chapter 8, it says this, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. So then the beginning is, in this particular case in Genesis 1-1, is when God began to do what he's going to do uh, that started in Genesis 1-1 and carries through the next 7,000 years of man's history and then moving into the millennium on the 7,000 and on through eternity. So it's not the beginning of God. It's the beginning of the way he's going to do something. That would be... Now that we understand the definition of dispensations, that it's more than just a period of time, but the way God deals with man, this would be a very fitting verse to show you that this is the beginning of the dispensations. Because dispensations are not just time, they're the way that God deals with something in that time period. So that's very important that you see that, because you're going to get that asked. I get it a lot, you know, over the years. Uh, about God in the beginning somewhat being confusing to people um, and it's not a beginning of God nor is it the beginning of time um, of course there wasn't any time here it's basically or the beginning of eternity and that's another question they ask how can there be a beginning when God's eternal and we're in eternity past and of course um, this would be the beginning of time this would be when God begins to um, go a particular way and that way is going to be found throughout the Bible as you rightly divide it in the 12 dispensations uh, as I count them. You may find somebody that counts them a little differently, but that ain't no big deal. So now we know that when he begins to go this way in Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-2, this is the beginning of everything. And uh, one of the things that you want to learn about the Bible and God is that you always will learn the end of something by looking at the beginning of something. That is just a standard textbook pattern that God follows. And this obviously will be the original creation when God now is moving in a way that he's going to go. And within this, we will see uh, a couple of things happen. And this is God is not dealing with man here. This is the beginning of God's way. 
and God is doing some things here. In Proverbs chapter 8, let's go back there again. It, it shows you the way that he's going. It says, the Lord possessed me from the beginning of his way before the works of old. Now, the works of old will be, um, you know, what he takes place in Genesis chapter 1. I was set up from everlasting uh, from the beginning or ever the earth was. Uh, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. Now, in Proverbs chapter 8, you have what... Nobody gets today. It's, it's just totally off the wall for anybody to grasp this today. Is that there was a time when Christ did not exist as, um, as the Son of God. He always existed in the Godhead or the Trinity. But here in verse 24, it says, I was brought forth. And this is Christ stepping out of the Godhead to play the role that God has designed for him. And that role is going to be played out all the way through the Bible. In the Old Testament, well, it's before that, in every dispensation, you're going to find him uh, dealing with people in a different way. When Adam and Eve are put down in the garden, he shows up to them in some form, probably the angel of the Lord, but certainly Christ, and he's fellowshipping with them. After the fall, you find him talking and dealing with people like Moses, Noah, and then appearing to them like Joshua and Moses. And um, so he's manifesting himself as the angel of the Lord uh, in, in that part of the Old Testament. And then we go all the way through, and once we get into the kingdom, he doesn't, uh, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, he doesn't actually show up anymore, if you notice that. There's no more appearances of him like there is before that. Now he speaks to them through the prophets. So he manifests himself through the prophets. Then once we get into the time of the the captivity and... For that 400 years, God is silent. There is no manifestation. Then God brings him forth through the Virgin Mary, and God now is manifested in the flesh. And we know from John 1 that he is the Word of God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So now he is, he is manifested in that sense for the purpose of the first coming of Christ, which we pretty well understand. Israel rejects him. He gets crucified. Now he goes back to heaven again, and this time he manifests himself to the church through the word of God. And now he is uh, not here in a bodily presence. He's now here in the volume of a book. He's here now in the, in the, in the word of God, in the, in the actual uh, book that is his mind. And, uh, then, and when we get in Christ, then we are the body of Christ, and the Bible is the mind of Christ, so he manifests himself in us through the book, 
And that's very, very important to understand. When the rapture takes place, again, he's gone. No Holy Spirit of God here. Then he comes back at the second coming and he manifests himself as um, the uh, Christ that comes back, Revelation chapter 19. And then he manifests himself through the, uh, through the millennium, probably through the ages of ages, and at some point in eternity. And this is where everybody just goes cattywampus when it comes to trying to hang on to this thought. Someplace in eternity, he goes back into the Godhead and ceases to exist as the manifestation of, of God in the form of Christ. And the reason why there's no need for Christ anymore, and this, boy, this is way beyond just about anybody today. The reason why there's no need for Christ anymore in that sense is because we now have taken that place. This is why, and again, guys just can never get to this. This is why right now the Bible says in 1 John, now are we the sons of God but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Right now, you're a son of God, but you still look like whoever you are because what's a son of God about you is on the inside, and that is Christ living in you, the personal body of Christ in you that made you spiritually part of his body. Now, you got a body, but you got no mind for that body. That's where he gave us the word of God, that we are in the body, now we have the mind, and now we are complete in Christ. So you can begin to see, as a side note, the real problem in the Laodicean church is people who are in the body, but they have no mind. So they're left to their own devices. It's not a real complicated deal. Once you're willing just to accept whatever the Bible clearly teaches. And of course, when he goes back into the Godhead, just like he came out, And the reason for that is that we are going to be, you know, the body of Christ who gets the glorified body, who was a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're going to be a carbon copy. That's a bad trope. You're not going to be a copy. You are going to be Christ in every way, shape, or form. You are going to be God in every way, shape, or form. Um, You know, and and here again, every heresy out there that you find who teaches heresy, most people don't get the fact that the heresy they teach has to be based on a truth, and then they distort it from there. The Mormons teach that someday they're going to be God. And, of course, that's always been a big stick with Baptists because they say, how can that be? They think they're going to be God someday. Truth of the matter is, (laughs) they're not, but you are. And you're going to be whatever Christ is to God. You're going to be that. And that's why right now the church is called the body of Christ, And that's why the Bible is called the mind of Christ. And uh, you're commanded to do two things as a human being. One, get saved and get in the body. And then once you get in the body, two, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's where the completeness comes. And we're seeing a lot of churches and a lot of Christians that are incomplete today because they may be in the body, but they don't have the mind. And that is where... Uh, you know, uh, what good is a person who loses their mind? There's a guy in our neighborhood, ask, ask Barbara about her, her boyfriend who walks the streets. 
he lives, he's a, he's a guy and he's probably, I'd say he's maybe in his 20s or his 30s. He's a young guy. He's obviously got some real issues. I think he lives down <clears throat> west on 83rd Street, uh, almost to the bridge. But you see this guy walking everywhere. And <clears throat> he stares at everybody. And he's, huh? Yeah, he is. The, you've seen him that, huh? He is the creepiest guy on the planet. And, and now he's, I saw him, you know where I live, and you know he lives on off 83rd. I saw him the other day all the way down, walking down 350 to Hy-Vee. You've seen him too? I mean, he's, he's in your area too. Well, I got some good news for you here in just a second, so hang on. You're going to really like this. So he walks everywhere. And, 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 and late at night, I've walked the dog down at 11 o'clock and he's standing down in the corner just standing there watching you, you know? And he, it's, it, it's weird. <clears throat> now he's walking up my street, which is the cul-de-sac, and he's up there and he walks up there and he comes back. And actually, I think people are getting tired of it. Somebody, um, he was on my street and somebody stopped a big black uh, SUV and I, I, he was laughing, the, the goofy guy. He was laughing, and I thought maybe he knew it, but then very quickly, I, I, and that wasn't the case. That person was confronting him with being on the street or whatever he's doing, and he was just kind of in his goofiness. Because then after the guy left, he was talking, walking, like he was saying something to somebody. Anyway, and my next-door neighbor who just moved in there, he walked up the street the other night, uh, this guy, and uh, the other day, and I was out in the yard, and uh, he goes back, he was up the street, and my neighbor comes over, and he says, who just moved into this house next to me about two, three months ago, and he says, who is this guy? And I said, oh, I said, he walks up and down all over the place, and I said, I, I, said, I, I, think, he, I think he's harmless, and he says, well, he says, last week at three o'clock in the morning, he knocked on my door. And when I went to the door, I asked him what he wanted, and he said he was, he was looking for a woman. To my response is, aren't we all? <laughs> and I said, well, that's unnervy. So it's a thing where he's, he, 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 looks, he looks, he's a human being. He walks, he talks, he gets more miles in a day than I do. I want you to know that. <laughs> but he, he's lost his mind. And when he looks at you, you know those eyes, man, are some weird-looking eyes. He's going to get shot, I guarantee you. He picks on the wrong house. And, uh, but it's a thing where that's, uh, he reminds me of, and I'm going to preach on this tomorrow, and I may use this illustration again, but he reminds me of most of God's people. One, he's got a body. Two, he's got no mind. And three, he's got no purpose in life. He just wanders. And it's a thing where it's, it's, it's scary. So when we get out into eternity at some point, God, Christ is going to go back into the Godhead and will cease to exist. Now, I don't know where that is. Maybe it's after the ages of ages. Maybe it's during the ages of ages. The Bible gives you no clue. I just know that when you get into Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the beginning will always show you how it's going to end. 
So if you want to find out how it's going to end, always go back into the beginning because God, everything in a perfect circle. Um, Come over here to Revelation chapter 22. And in Revelation chapter 22, we know now that we are in eternity. Everything has come to a complete, uh, a complete end here, an end, but at the beginning of what God's going to do. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, and this is a great, this is a great verse to show you exactly what I'm saying. But nobody will ever get it. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, and look at verse. Now, Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 is God restating the Jew. And everything coming to, uh, it brings you right up basically to where you're at the end of the Bible. Look at verse 35, verse 34. And the desolate land shall be tilled, desolate because of the second coming, uh, whereas it lay desolate uh, in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, this land that was desolate, has become like the Garden of Eden. You see that? You started your Bible in a place that was the Garden of Eden, and you end your Bible in a place like the Garden of Eden. So that tells me that everything in the beginning is going to be a reference to how it's going to be at the end. So if Christ comes out of the Godhead, Proverbs 8, at some point he's going to go back in. And there's no need for him anymore. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it isn't when you understand the plan of God. There's no need for him anymore because we have become him. And what God is going to do throughout the second heaven, he couldn't do with just one son of God. He now has to have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of sons of God who are born in the image of God, who have a glorified body, who now interact with the Gentiles and the Jews throughout the eternity of the second heaven in a relationship to them, just like Christ now is the model for our relationship. Where Christ is the mediator between man and God now, we will be the mediator between man and God then. And the whole pattern is very clear of how it begins to unfold. So this dispensation is a crucial one. Yeah. Yeah, they were just, yeah, God the Father, God, he, he always, he's eternal. He always was. He just was not manifested yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even begin to ex- know how to explain that, but I'm telling you, you know that's true uh, because uh, over there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Jesus is called the everlasting Father. So, some way it's all, but I 
I could be even begin to tell you how it works, and I, I guarantee you nobody else could either. So that's that's what you've got, and so that first dispensation is absolutely the foundation of of where dispensations start in the beginning, the beginning of His way, the way He's going to deal with man through His plan that is all about man. Most people. Most people who never get the first dispensation down in a, in a good, complete, understandable way will never get the rest of the Bible down. And now, when you live in a world where there is no dispensations taught at all, you can see where it's all an absolute disaster when it comes to trying to put God's plan together. Uh, I know I pick on the knee of evangelicals, uh, and I enjoy doing that a lot, but Baptist pastors today, I, I, I've talked with them uh, over the years, you know, when it comes to the Bible, they are the most ridiculously stupid people on the planet. And uh, they just, they, they can't think past the standard Baptist mentality of, of, of the Bible. They cannot break out of that mindset that they have been it's been infused in them, and, and it's, it's just totally such a limited concept of, of, of what God did. First of all, they were never taught, and most of them at this point you can't teach them. They were never taught to use the Bible for the definitions. And you notice that when, first thing I did in the beginning, first thing I did, first thing I did was define for you that beginning. Because if you don't, then the beginning will be to everybody whatever you want it to be. And that's what happens with the Bible. And you can't ever do that with the Bible. The Bible, wherever you go, is not about whatever you want it to be. And I read in the beginning, you know, or you read in the beginning, or the average people read in the beginning, then they're left to their own devices to decide what that beginning is. And, of course, we, we don't do that here. We went and found the definitive passage on the beginning that matches up in Proverbs 8 with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, way back before the works of old. And you were told that the beginning is not the beginning of, of God or the beginning of eternity or the beginning of anything. It's the beginning of the way God is going to deal with man to bring about his plan. And <clears throat> to me... I don't know. To me, it, 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 the whole thing is so simple. The Bible is a book of the right way to do everything. It, when we say in the beginning, and we find that the beginning is the way that God's going, that also tells you that in everything in the Christian life, there's a way to do it the right way, God's way. And... How how simple is that? If you wanna if you wanna grow spiritually, you gotta do it God's way. If you wanna get into ministry, you gotta do it God's way. If you wanna preach, you gotta do it God's way. If you wanna build a church, you gotta do it God's way. If you wanna uh, raise a good godly family that loves the Lord, you gotta do it God's way. If you wanna have the good marriage that lasts forever, you gotta do it God's way. The Bible is a book of the way we are supposed to do things. And, you know, it's a, to me, that is just such a simple concept. 
And yet it is just so hard for so many people to, to grasp. And so this first Genesis 1 is 1-2. You know, and I know that traditionally, we'll talk about it here in a moment, that that's the great chapter of what they call the gap. And it is. But, you know, up to this point, I haven't even mentioned the gap yet. There is so much in here that foundationally basis for the next of the Bible. And I don't want to take away from the gap because I will tell you this, if you don't believe there was a gap between 1, 1 and 22, or 1, 1, 2, you ain't going anywhere in the Bible with that either because everything in the Bible depends on that. So when he says in the beginning, uh, boy, I'll tell you, that is a mouthful because that is the beginning of, of everything that God is going to do, his way. And that way has to be our way. And dispensations shows you that way. Because down through the Bible, God will deal with man a different way. And that is so crucial. Now, we know that this is the original creation and the beginning of God's way. Let's stop for a moment and look at what transpires in this. And... And as I said, this dispensation is not about how God deals with man because there is no men or human beings. But this dispensation is how God begins the way that he is going to deal with man in the next dispensation. That's why it's so crucial. I count this one as the foundational dispensation. Don't get this one down. Forget it. You ain't going anywhere when it comes uh, to the Bible. Now, let's look at the things that happen here. At some point, we now know that God comes out of the Godhead. Now, I'm going to spitball here a minute, and I don't take anything I'm about to say as doctrinal, go to live on this. I'm just saying here what some things look like. We know that... We know that Lucifer, before he fell, had everything that Christ has now. Now, stay with me here. He is the anointed cherub. He's over the throne. He has a throne down in the Garden of Eden. He's over everything in God's creation. And yet there's no mention of Christ in any way, shape, or form connected with that. Now, that's, and here again, I'm not saying this is true. I'm trying to show you how you think things through. But at the same time, as I've told you many times, you can't go where it doesn't go clearly. But that doesn't stop you from thinking as long as you preface your thinking and your thoughts by you know what, I'm not going to hang my hat doctrinally on this, but this is how you learn. Now, that always bothered me. It always bothered me that, 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 that Lucifer, before he fell, had everything that Jesus had, and God entrusted it all to him. And 
There is no mention of the Son of God or God being manifested in any time connected with that. In fact, the verse in Proverbs 8.22 says that it is, you know, uh, it's, it's, it all kind of falls in that time frame, but you don't get a, a consistent time frame because you don't know, first of all, the time element between 1.1 one, one and 1.2. One, so you can't really say this happened here, this happened. You got to go by what it, what you know and what, and how it looks. It looks like, and this is all in God's plan, and I'll explain it to you. It looks like that, that Lucifer was over it all. He rises up against God and falls. And then at that point, or at some point, Christ comes out of the Godhead and becomes what Lucifer fell from. Now, I, I, I'm not teaching this dogmatically. I'm not. So don't go out of here. And I would never even probably do this on a Monday night Bible study. I just give you the standard answer because there's too many young people out there and too many people out here. And first thing that happens is they go out saying, this is what I teach. And I don't, but I'll, I'll do it here because we're here to learn. And it looks like that could have been the case. There is, I'm going to tell you right now, before he fell, I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand it. But there is a real close relationship between Christ and Lucifer in your Bible. They're both Christ. They're both anointed. The similarities between the two are so close that the Mormon church teaches that they were brothers. Now, I don't know what to do with that exactly, but here's my dilemma. The first two guys in the Bible... One's a type of the devil. The other one's a type of Christ. We're brothers, Cain and Abel. So you can see the dilemma you get in here. And I'm not being dogmatic about anything. I am telling you that Christ at some point steps out of the Godhead and becomes, by God's design, how God is going to use him to deal with man. Now, we're left with the question, what would have happened if Lucifer wouldn't have fell? And the answer to that question is as hard or impossible as is what would have happened if Adam and Eve didn't sin and eat in the garden? And there's no answer to that. And I don't think there is a legitimate answer to it because from the book of Proverbs, it says that the devil was created for a purpose. So I look at it in the great mind of God in this foundational dispensation, which is the bedrock of the way that God is going to go from the beginning. I look at it no matter when Christ came out. I look at it that God knew what the Lucifer was going to do He has to give him a choice just like he gives everybody else a choice because we all know that that is the overall parentheses of the Bible. Everything that God created gets a choice before God 
eternally moves out into eternity. So Lucifer got one. The angels got one. Everybody in the Old Testament got one. Everybody in the New Testament gets one. Everybody in the tribulation gets one. And everybody in the millennium gets one. So when you look at that and step back and you see the way that God is going, and boy, that is such a crucial part of the puzzle. In this first dispensation, which is the bedrock for the rest of them, by the which way God is going to go, we begin to see that God knew what Lucifer was going to do, gave him the chance anyhow, and then by the way he's going, God has to have an alternative to write for man from this point on to make a choice for God, because it would be impossible to make a choice for God by your own free will if you didn't have an alternative choice that was against God. So that's the purpose by which the devil was created. I say that because when you look at Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, and you go over to the six things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, you find the exact things that's going on in his world is what goes on in an unsaved man's life. Pride, swift feet, swift to mischief, everything follows right down the line of what man's old nature is like. And yet the Bible says for an unsaved person, ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your fathers you will do. So it, it's clear in God's plan that God at some point to convey his holiness and righteousness, stepped out of the Godhead and manifested himself as his own son, and then had another creature or being, a cherubim, Lucifer, fall from that grace that he was under, or whatever he was under, and then becomes the two alternatives that man has. You see this before you go four verses in Genesis. After it's all messed up, you see... God created light, and then you have the darkness. And John talks about that the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And Bible talks about that the light, Genesis 1-4, uh, God divided the light from the darkness. That's Christ and not the devil, right there. And the rest of your life in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is going to be about that issue, light versus darkness. One representing Christ who steps out of the Godhead. One represents Lucifer who fell from where he was in his position and moves on from there. So, you know, this is a... Uh, and, and, and most people that are of the Protestant world they they get the manifestation of Christ coming out of the Godhead confused with uh, Christ being begotten back in eternity someplace. Back in the, uh, back in the uh, early, early church, around 300 and 400, in a number of councils that they had, one of the things that they worked on was the eternalness of Christ. And out of the council of Nicaea, which was a waste of time, came the idea, and you find it in the Apostles' Creed, uh, that Jesus Christ was begotten of God. Yeah, he's, he's eternal uh, in this sense that he was begotten of God sometime way back in the distant past. 
there's a big difference between begotten and manifest. When they say that he was begotten, they mean that Jesus Christ is a lesser God and a different God than God because begotten means that you're begotten of God means you're a lesser God. And of course, once you establish the fact that, that uh, uh, Christ was not a begotten God, now in John chapter 3, it says he was a begotten, the only begotten son. That's a totally different deal. That's not a begotten God. He was a begotten son at the first coming of Christ. But he was never a begotten God. Jesus Christ was not begotten one day before he came into this world in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the begotten Son of God. They try to make him a begotten God back here when in the truth of the matter is Proverbs chapter 8 and other places, he was manifested. That's different than begotten. Manifest means he always was. He just took a form. Begotten means he wasn't and God created him as a lesser God and put him forth. That's the difference. And you got to really listen to people when you're reading or you're studying things because a lot of people go there today. So we begin to see that this first dispensation will establish the way that God's going. And we see, as I said, the uh, fall of the, um, the fifth cherub, which is Lucifer then, and then become Satan, the devil, that old dragon, and you know all the other names we know him associated with. Now, a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and this is really important. Now, uh, uh, you find that when God gives the commission to uh, Adam, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, that leads to a lot of people's confusion because uh, replenish what? There wasn't any human beings. So that kind of sticks in their throat. What do you do with that? And, of course, they do with that what they ever do with everything in the Bible when they don't understand it. They, they retranslate it, and they say that that should not be translated that way. And, of course, that's exactly how it should be translated. And they lose sight of the fact of what God is doing in Genesis chapter 1 and what he then does in, in Genesis chapter uh, in the next dispensation, which we'll get to here in a second, and what he's doing with Adam. Look over here in, and look over here in Luke. Luke chapter 3. Now, here in Luke, you have the human lineage of Christ going back uh, to Adam. And all of these people here are found in the Bible. We surely won't try to read them all today. I'll just bring it on down here to verse 38, uh, which, has, which was talking about going back through Christ's genealogies, which was the sons of Enos, which was the son of Seth, that's Adam's third son, uh, which was the son of Adam, which was the Son of God. Not a Son of God, the Son of God. So when Adam is created, he's created as the Son of God. He's got God's image and he's got God's likeness. He is, he is at that point the only man 
in the history of the Bible that when he was created, was created born again. And with that designation, he's the only man in the Bible who loses his salvation and loses that image. So Adam is, a, is, a, is an, an incredible case study here. Because you begin to see when Adam is told to replenish something, that everybody's scratching their heads and saying, well, what is Adam supposed to replenish? There were no human beings. When you go to Luke chapter 3, you find out that he's not to replenish human beings because at that point, Adam wasn't a human being as we know human beings. Adam was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth with sons of God. And that replenish can only go back to our first dispensation when once Lucifer leaves, the Bible says that he takes a third of the sons of God, we know them as angels, with him. So then a mathematical God who works on the concept of exactness, heaven now is incomplete because you have a third, and I have no idea what that total number is, you have a, number, you have a third of the sons of God who are no longer there, so heaven is incomplete. So God is now looking through Adam in our second dispensation to replenish the number of sons of God that fell by putting Adam down, creating him as a son of God, and at that point, what would have happened if Adam would not have what Adam would not have sinned? Well, what would have happened is the fact that uh, he would have went on with him and Eve having children, no pain and childbirth, nothing to stop them. The earth would have became full of sons of God. God would have moved those out and on and on and on and on and on. Theoretically, that's what would have happened. But that could not have happened because that was not part of God's plan. Because when you say that was God's plan and the devil disrupted it, then you're saying, well, the devil got one up on God and messed up his plan. No, 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 not at all. That was not God's plan at that point, but that's God's plan down the line someplace. Adam is just the model for it, and he's the test case for it. And Adam is the test case of what's going to be, because we already know from Ezekiel that uh, when it comes back full circle, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Adam is a son of God, like you and I are, and Adam then now has to get faced with a choice. And he is, from a semi-human standpoint, because he was human in one sense, but not human in another, but a human enough that he had to make his own choice. He didn't have, he didn't, his, his flesh was not alive at this point. He has to make the first real choice in the Bible, other than the angels and Lucifer. And so God, now we begin to see God's way established in that everything that's going to come down through the Bible at this point, going to have to make its own choice you know how a you know you say to yourself how can a calvinist believe not believe in free will because a calvinist knows nothing about the bible he couldn't lay out genesis 1 and the dispensations of his life depended on it so all he all he gets is the crazy doctrine of calvin who got it from the roman catholic church and you know that's as far as he ever thinks about it so it's 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 an incredible in concept in this first dispensation, which establishes the way that God is going to go, and we know 
that dispensation is not just a period of time, but a period of time by which God is going to deal with man in a different way. So it's an incredible aspect. Yeah. Um, when you were just talking a little bit ago, it kind of, I don't know if this, if this actually aligns and makes sense, but you were just talking about Cain and Abel, right? And Lucifer and Christ. Well, you remember how there's a third part to it. You got Cain, Abel, and Seth, and you got Lucifer, Christ, with the church, and Seth. Would that align? Not really. No, it, it, it really, I mean, it, yeah, you got three and three, but when, it, when the breakdown, there's no, there's nothing, there's no tie rods between the two. Uh, uh, you know, um, Cain and Abel are, are, are brothers, but they're brothers by different fathers. Uh, so, yeah, it, it would be kind of hard to make, gotcha. make that work, but yeah, I, I understand it, it, where you would look at that and think that I mean that's I would too but you can't you can't sustain that as you go all, all the way through so this first dispensation here deals with a number of things that we begin to see God's way being established and then what we do at this point is now we move into the second dispensation And this will be our first covenant. And this will be what we call the Edenic, uh, based on the word Eden, the Edenic covenant. And uh, this is the beginning of the eight covenants through the Bible. And like I said, you, they go along with the dispensations, but they don't, they're not the same. You can't line them up because uh, some of them have multiple ones in them and the same dispensation, but you need to know what they are. Now, in this one, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, up to Genesis chapter 3. And this will be our second dispensation. And this is the dispensation where God uh, deals with with, uh, the reconstructing of God's original creation and then the creation of Adam and Eve. And here now we begin to see the way, as I've already stated, begin to take shape. The Garden of Eden is a um, represents a lot of things in the Bible. First of all, it represents it represents the land uh, grant that is given to Abraham, which is the original Eden, and in that Eden was a garden. And Eden runs from Egypt, we'll say Cairo, uh, about 1,200 miles to the east to Baghdad, and then uh, up in the shape of a pyramid, two sides going up to Mount Arat, which is in southern Turkey. That is the original land grant that was given to Abraham. That is the original Eden. And... <clears throat> In that was a garden. And uh, everybody who rejects the Bible and doesn't believe anything about God or the scriptures will give you the fact that civilization, as we know it, starts in this period, in in this geographical location. It's called the Fertile Crescent. Every unsaved person on the planet will tell you that this is where life on planet Earth 
becomes, comes from. And of course, they don't even believe the Bible or reject the Bible totally, but um, here again, they have to follow it there. This is where it all, this is where it all started. And we see now that once you get past, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, um, and from two on, you do not find the word creation anymore. Uh, God is not creating anything at this point. He's restructuring uh, what was already there from the original creation. You don't find the word creation showing up till you get down a little farther in chapter uh, where he talks about he creates cattle or he creates animals. But the substance by which earth, heaven, and everything is, is made of is already there. It was created in one one. So you don't find the word. So when a guy says this is the recreation, which many of them say, technically that's not true. It's a refashioning. It's a reconstruction, but it's not a recreation. Uh, to create something means you create it out of nothing. When you restructure something, you take something that was already there and then restructure it. So this restructuring of God's original creation uh, takes place in the first part here of uh, after, and uh, he's from uh, verse 3 on, God says, let there be light, and, you know, he divides light, the light from the darkness, and then uh, he starts coming down and dealing with the three heavens, really the two heavens, the first heaven and the second heaven. We went through all that before, so we don't, we don't go through it again. But uh, down here, um, you see the first time after that, you find in verse 21, and God created great whales uh, and everything. And then uh, if you go on down through here, you'll find uh, verse 24, you find the word cattle. And that's interesting because, again, this is about the way. And the only two animals that he mentions are very significant in the Bible. He mentions whales, which has to do with Christ and the resurrection. He has to deal with cattle, which has to do with the devil and Baal worship. So, again, you, those are the things that you look for in your Bible that show you, once you see that this is about the way God is going, things are starting to pop up that you just can't miss unless you just <laughs> want to. So we see this restructuring. Yeah. I noticed that when it said there in Proverbs, it said his way, lowercase, and then Jesus later on claims he is the way, the truth, and the life. Are we connecting those two together? I, if there is, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, there's there's nothing between. I don't even know where to go between those two. Uh, over obviously in uh, in in the New Testament when he says that he's here as the Son of God. Back there he's not. So I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. But we see during this restructuring of God's original creation, now we begin to see things begin to develop, and the way now becomes. A way we can follow. 
The next thing we do is we see the, cre- we see the creation of two people, Adam and Eve. Now, there's some interesting things about that that, again, we'll show you. Um, over here in Genesis chapter 2, It says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, that's the first time you find soul in the Bible. And what you have in chapter 7 is another definition. Uh, Excuse me, verse 7 is another definition. And this is where, from God's standpoint, the Bible's standpoint, where life begins. Everybody is preoccupied with where life begins. At conception, after eight weeks, after two months, when, when, when is it really a living life, as we would say? And the Bible is clear over and over and over and over again that uh, it's not a living soul until it breathes the breath of life. And that would be at the point of birth when it comes out of the womb and begins to breathe on its own. At that point, from the Bible's definition, um, this is where life begins. The Bible is clear on two things, and most Christians are not clear on it, and the world's certainly not clear on it, and that is the fact when life begins and when life ends. And if you get those two definitions, it solves a world of issues for you. And, of course, most people don't. Come over to uh, Ezekiel 36, I think it is. I'll show it to you again. Okay, come into chapter 37. Now, in chapter 37, this is the great chapter on the Valley of Dry Bones. And we know this to be the nation of Israel uh, who was dead. Uh, and now, at the second coming of Christ, or in the millennium, becomes alive. So, it started in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which is full of bones. And we know these bones to be the nation of Israel and caused me to pass round about them. And behold, they were very many in the open valley and they were very dry. Uh, And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones, here's the word, live? Okay, that's the question. And I answered, O Lord, God, thou knowest. And again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now watch verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God unto these, these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. See that thing? 
Same thing as you got in Genesis. Life doesn't begin with God till the breath of life takes place. And uh, so that is your first definition of that in the Bible, and then it, the Bible substantiates that all the way through the Scriptures. Um, and uh, so this is where Adam becomes a living soul. He's now alive. And we already know that Adam is now, when he's created, he's created as the Son of God, not a Son of God, the Son of God. He's made in God's likeness, which is a physical form, so he looks like Christ. He's made in God's image, which is a spiritual form, which is, the, which is Christ uh, that you have. You have, if you're saved this morning, you have the image of Christ, but you have uh, the likeness of your father or your mother or whoever uh, brought you into the world in a physical sense. And of course, uh, uh, so now we see that Adam is created and he is created as a son of God. And then he says, verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put man who he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ah, we don't go five verses here, then we see the choice popping up again. Two trees. Now, in this dispensation, which is called the organic dispensation, we find that, again, God's dealing with man based on man's choices in his obedience to God. And we see that this is the first example of, of, of man's free will. Uh, God's relationship with them, and this will be a go on up to uh, the fall, uh, and then it changes within our next dispensation. And we go on down through here, and now we find that uh, it says here, uh, let's see here. Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, out of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, here he gets the explanation of the two trees. Here's what would have happened. I'm not saying this was God's plan that went upside down. I'm saying from what we have here and what I know that's going to happen later, I can put the pieces of this together. He got two trees in a garden. We're already told when the Lord comes back and establishes it that the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like the Garden of Eden. I already gave you that out of Ezekiel. Here you have the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, out into eternity, lo and behold, you have a tree of life again. Everybody, Baptist, anybody, reads 22, Revelation 22, 14, you find the tree of life they just can't conceive with Christ coming down and dying on the cross and paying for everybody's sins. Why in the world you would need a tree of life out into eternity if um, Christ already died on the cross? And, of course, the answer to that is the answer of dispensations. 
So they do with Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, the same thing they do with replenish in Genesis chapter 1. They say it's a mistranslation. In fact, the only Greek manuscript that has Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 in it will be the manuscripts that your King James Bible comes from. It's taken out of Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and any other Nestle's Greek text, anything that, of course, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus is the base text for all the other Greek texts. It's gone, not in there. And that's their convenient way of getting around something that they don't understand instead of search the scriptures and, uh, and finding out what God is doing. But when you already have an attitude toward the Bible as being the final authority, and you want to be the final authority, you have no problem at all when it comes to you don't understanding something, you just get rid of it. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, you throw it away. I mean, how hard is that? Anybody who ever cleaned out their garage knows how that goes. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, they don't want to be, they don't believe it, they don't want to believe it, so therefore they get rid of it. It's of no value to them. So we see now that, that God is setting the pattern through dispensation of the way that he's going to go. And now we start to see that Adam is a son of God, plopped down in a garden. He now gets Eve, who is not a direct creation like Adam is. She's an indirect creation. She comes from Adam. That's a great model of the way it's going to be with the church. I'm not a direct uh, creation of God. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I came out of Christ, his body, so I am the weaker vessel, just as the woman here is the weaker vessel to the man and not a direct creation. But we now see not where this was supposed to go, but the model of where it is going to go when God picks it back up. Because theoretically, as we talked about a little bit ago, if Adam and Eve would not have sinned and taken the wrong tree, they would have continued on and had children in a perfect environment. They would have given birth physically to sons of God uh, in a physical sense. And in the image and the uh, (coughs) uh, likeness of God. And they would have replaced (coughs) at some point that number of fallen sons of God that went with Satan. But we know that that won't work. So that was not God's original plan, even though we know now that if that would have continued on, that would have happened. (coughs) But that wasn't God's plan. (coughs) God's plan was to have them faced with a decision Free will, again, if you please, they make the wrong choice. And this dispensation comes to a close. But within it, we see all the future things that God is going to do now because we begin to see God's way laying out dispensationally down through the Bible. How that all this is going to play out in time that Adam and Eve were not going to populate outer space with sinless sons of God who partook of the tree of life. But we see the model of that is going to be played out in eternity. And we see all the pieces now begin to fold out. God has to have 
two things, and he hasn't got them yet. He has to have a people to himself as the father, which will be the nation of Israel. But he's got a son, and that son now has to have a bride, and that bride will be the church. And just as Israel will represent God throughout eternity, you and me as the church, the bride of Christ, who becomes Christ, will represent Christ through all of eternity. And as we move down through this, you begin to see how this thing really uh, plays itself out and how all these events that are happening now are clearly showing us the way by which God is going to deal with man. And, and the key here is free will. Free will, you know, free will is, I think in the Old Testament you find the word free will like 18, 19 times. And, um, you know, it's always been that way. God will not force a person to love him. God has a plan. And in the concept of eternity, which is endless, God has created a little parenthesis, which we call time, that goes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, you can't have a beginning without time, and then up to Revelation chapter 22, someplace there where the Bible talks about in Ephesians that the fullness of time comes in. And that's called the dispensation of fullness of times. That's where time ends. Within those two time frames, God is dealing with man on this planet in various ways and times, dispensations, and he's conveying to them the same question only on different levels. I got a plan that's going to start in eternity when time is over and we are going to spend an eternal time together and everything is going to be just the way it's supposed to be. The question is, do you want to go with that or do you want not want to go with that? And he created the devil or allowed the devil to happen and then he allowed the light to show up, manifested Christ, to give man those two alternatives you see it popping up in Genesis 2 with a tree, and then you see it moving all the way down through the Bible that the devil is used to give man the alternative to God because man, in God's mind, God wants man to choose to be with him. This is why God sends the Holy Spirit of God down to, to influence man. This is why he uses you and me and preachers and churches and the Holy Spirit of God and missionaries to to reach people, to show them the gospel. And of course, it's the great battle for men's souls, but at the end of the day, uh, it is man, comes down to man's choice. Um, I, I know that we have, you know, we deal with a lot of people, and I feel bad about uh, a lot of the things that people actually go through. I really do. But at the end of the day, we all have to keep one thing in mind. Um, they got there by their own choice. And I can sympathize and try to help somebody of that, but I never lose sight of the fact that uh, you're not a victim in this. Because once you get saved, there is no victim status anymore. Uh, there's only a victory status. And the victim status is a choice that you make. It's a thing that you decide 
you know, I'm going to stay where I'm at. And of course, uh, this is what happened. This, you can maybe better see it now. This is why it is so, as I said earlier, this is why it is absolutely so vital for us to understand and, and grasp the uh, foundational dispensation here. Everything is, everything is clearly defined for you. And now we are moving through this uh, into, the, uh, into Genesis 1, uh, 1 to Genesis 3, and we see this happening. Well, Genesis chapter 3, we now have clearly defined for us that the, you have the light versus darkness. Uh, I, I've said this to you many, many times, and I don't know of a truer statement that I could ever make about the Bible in history. Uh, that is lost today, but it absolutely has to be the bedrock by which you view history. And without this little piece of information, history just becomes meaningless. And you've heard me say it before, and it comes back to this dispensation here of the first one again, that all history, and it's established in Genesis 3, all history now is God moving forward to create and accomplish his way which we know as his plan. But based on our defining that, we know it's his way now. So all history is nothing more than God moving down through history to accomplish his way. And then the devil moving in opposition to that to stop that way. And that's all history is. That's all the Bible is. The Bible, you don't go, as I said, four verses, then you see light versus darkness. And those light versus darkness is in a conflict Light, ver- light to accomplish something, the darkness to shut the light out. We see Adam and Eve in chapter 2 put down in the garden. That garden is there. God says there's two trees here amongst all the other trees. You can have this one. You can't have this one. If you don't do this one, you'll get this one later, tree of life. And of course, Genesis chapter 3, we see the pattern in, that ends this dispensation in disaster. And that pattern is uh, 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, uh, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Again, this is the first time the devil shows up in your Bible. Here he's called a serpent. And the serpent, you know, again, you'll always see the paintings with tree. Eve in the garden in a tree with an apple in her hand and a snake wrapped around the deal. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people believe that that is how he appeared to her. And of course, that's not how he appeared to her. Uh, we already know that he is the uh, Christ. We already know that he's coming with another word of God, his, to counterman the word of God. We've got a word of darkness here trying to overshadow the words of light. So when he shows up here, he doesn't come as a snake. That is a reference to his subtlety, if you read the verse. And that is a reference to the way that he approaches people. A serpent, (coughs) you don't see it till you step on it, or maybe till it bites you. They're camouflaged in. They're very patient. They can wait for hours, never moving for something to come into their range, and then they strike. So it's a thing where 
it's a thing where you see all of this and how uh, this is how he, he plays out. And of course, we see the first thing he does sets the standard for the way he's going to work all down through um, the history of a man. He starts out by saying, yea, hath God said. And then he simply changes what God said. And that's the model that, that light versus darkness is going to work all the way through the Bible. And of course, Eve, as a type of the church, falls for it. And yet, if she was paying attention, they had some kind of relationship with God every day where God met with them. God had already told them clearly in his word exactly what he said. She got messed up because, you know why? Same reason we get messed up. She wasn't paying attention to the exactness of the words of God. And when somebody tells you that a translation doesn't matter, that it's all the word of God, then that's exactly you fall into the trap that she did. And then in that, they change what the word of God said, just like he did. And human nature jumps in, and she adds to the word of God uh, and does her little bit. And what does it lead? It leads to the end of this dispensation and, and uh, sin that just destroys everything. So <clears throat> this is what you've got here. And this, this, this dispensation comes to an end where God can no longer deal with them the way he's dealing with them here. I don't, <coughs> I don't fully understand everything that I'm about to say to you, so I, I'm not exact on this, but I understand the general concept. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were in innocence. They were naked and not ashamed. They were like little children, exactly the way that you and I should be in our relationship with Christ. And they didn't have any flesh. And the book of Leviticus tells you tells us that the life of the flesh is in our blood. So probably based on that, Adam and Eve did not have any blood in their circulatory system. I don't know what they had. If I was to make a wild guess based on the Bible, I would say that it was water. I know that when they can't give you a blood transfusion, they give you salt water or saline. I know that in the Old Testament, when God is up against, or Moses is up against Pharaoh, one of the first things he does turn water to blood. I know the first miracle that Jesus does in the New Testament in John 3 is turn water to wine, which is grape juice, which is a type of blood. So I'm saying <clears throat> the indication is <clears throat> that probably, and I wouldn't be dogmatic about this, probably they had some kind of water in their circulatory system that when she ate that grape, that just as Moses turned the water to blood and Christ turned the water to wine. Their water turned to blood and the life of the flesh is in their blood and that's what killed them. That's probably what happened. <clears throat> I'm not dogmatic about it, 
but there's too many indications in the Bible with water and blood that um, that just it just it just does, it just fits that way. And I, but I wouldn't again. I'm not dogmatic about it, but something happened, and whatever happened at that point in time changed everything. And now <clears throat> they're in the flesh. Now this brings an end to this dispensation or the Adanic covenant. And in the next one we move into, next time we get together, we'll see the Adamic, Adam, Adamic covenant. In other words, it changes from Eden, which now goes, and now it moves into a whole different world with Adam. Everything changes. The world changes. And we'll talk about that next time as we as we get into it and look at it, <clears throat> but the, suffices to say, uh, verse 7 says that the eyes of them both were opened. Now they know that they're naked. They didn't know that before. And now they sew together fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And of course, um, this shows you that something has radically changed. So, <clears throat> and I want to show you one last thing here. Come over to chapter 3, and we're going to get into chapter 3 next time pretty heavily as we look at this. Look at verse 22. Now, one of the main issues today with God's people who are very connected to the Bible is the aspect of losing your salvation. We know the charismatics teach it, all the cults teach it, and uh, many, many people struggle with that. Uh, again, Genesis chapter um, uh, 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, these chapters are great definitive chapters. So verse 22 says, after the fall, you still have two trees here along with all the other trees. In fact, the Bible says there's seven trees in this garden when you, when you lay it all out between Ezekiel and the book of Judges. And it says, it says, Verse 22, and the Lord God said, behold, man is now uh, become one of us. Now he defines that to know good and evil. Now lest forth he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden uh, to till the ground from whence he was taken so he drove out the man and placed at the east end of the garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, that tree of life is salvation in, the old, in this particular dispensation. That would have been their eternal life. Um, that would have ensured that they would have never grown old. I would probably say, and again, this is based on Adam being the son of God, Christ being the son of God, and, and how it works. You learn, you learn from what was, from what, 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 you learn from what, where you're going by what you've already looked at. I would say this. I would say that Adam was created with the appearance of 30 years of age. I would say that his test 
in the garden would have lasted for three years. And at the end of that three-year period, he would have gotten to eat of the tree of life, and then he would have lived forever and fulfilled whatever he was going to fulfill. I say that based on Christ being called the second Adam. And here's the picture where the first Adam failed in the garden and threw the world into sin. The second Adam, Christ, faced the same temptation in the same garden, stayed with the word of God, and where the first Adam was denied the tree of life, the second Adam, Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 9, became the tree of life, and we spiritually were partakers of his fruit, and that's how we got eternal life. So I would say the model probably is based on Christ. He was created with 30 years of age appearance. He would have been in that garden three years, and at some point uh, at that, just like Christ, 30 years, started his public ministry for three years, and then became the tree of life. Adam probably at that same time frame got denied the tree of life or somewhere in there. But it's an incredible, this is what Genesis does for you in the defining dispensations. It shows you the way that God is going. And then we start putting all the pieces of each dispensation. In the first dispensation, we didn't see God dealing with man. We saw God establishing which way. When we got into the second dispensation, we saw God's way with Adam and Eve in the original plan that he had for them. Fully understanding that God never intended them to fulfill that. He's showing us the model as we go down through each dispensation, we're going to actually see the way by which God is going to get to the end and it all comes back full circle and we find in eternity, it's just like the Garden of Eden, we find the tree of life and we find now that but the parentheses between eternity past and eternity future will be a time frame of 11 dispensations by which God is displaying a different way to man. And, you know, that's basically what uh, you're dealing with. And so what I'm showing you there is the fact that God's salvation through the tree of life, literal tree of life back here, Christ being a tree of life with a second Adam. He's telling us right there in Genesis 3 that that tree of life salvation was so so I can't even think of the word. So um, that if that if Adam would have got back in, he's telling you, if Adam would have got back in that garden in a fallen state and ate of that tree of life, he it wasn't like the tree of life only worked if you if you that tree of life if in his unsafe state in his fallen condition. If he got in there, God tells you if he would have took that tree of life and ate it in a fallen condition, he would have lived forever, eternally, and even God couldn't reverse the process. There's a picture of your eternal security. God couldn't unsave you if he wanted to. That's the model right there. And what an incredible picture that is of our eternal security uh, in Christ, my tree of life. So God, at some point, 
at some point, this tree of life is pulled off this planet, and the next time you find it is over there in the book of Revelation, and uh, it's up in heaven. And so um, he, he didn't leave it down here, obviously, uh, because of the fact that uh, uh, if he would have, then it would have been a, a problem, and you could have seen how that would have really messed up the plan. So all these things, uh, and you find that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. So all of these things, <clears throat> we're beginning to see how the dispensations, the first one, we defined it. The second one, we start to see it as it works its way through. By the way, we're going to see as we go through these, the whole picture of what God is doing begin to emerge as we understand that the dispensations are more than just a period of time. The dispensations are the way by which God is going. All right, well, we'll hold up there.